All right. Well, it was an interesting Saturday evening in combat sports. Uh, you know, the high spot, UFC Vegas 45 went down from the UFC Apex in Las Vegas. The event was headlined by a UFC heavyweight bout between UFC heavyweight title challenger Derek Lewis and number seventh ranked Chris Dawkins. Lewis Cash is the plus 128 underdog knocking out Dawkins early in the first round. And then the co-main event, a welterweight bout between the two-time title challenger, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. He faced number 10-ranked Bilal Muhammad, and Bilal Muhammad defeated Wonderboy by way of decision, cashing as a plus-195 underdog. But the most memorable moment of the night in a very easily forgettable fight uh, over in another combat sport, a complete blasphemy occurred in boxing as Jake Paul viciously knocked out Tyron Woodley in their pro boxing rematch, shocking the MMA world and, you know, quite frankly, shocking a lot of people outside of the combat sports world as well. Uh, so we're going to talk about it as well. Uh, it's another late night edition of the combat odds post show. And I guess the last edition of 2021. Uh, so a big thank you for being here. Uh, big thanks to Liam. Uh, Liam picks fights for staying up and doing this with me i know uh you know it's not easy but it's a late night show so this is what we do and yeah please like and subscribe to the channel like the video and follow follow along on twitter both of us oh my gods and liam picks fights liam how's it how's it going and uh how was your betting night Al mac it's going fantastic man it's 423 in the east over here but we're riding uh, for the people, because want to talk about these fights and a lot of great action. Honestly, I thought it was one of the better UFC fight nights of the year in terms of, uh, you know, how it played out. I thought on paper it had the potential to do that, uh, you know, expecting uh, over on the over under seven fights out of 14 uh, and inside the distance. That's what I took personally going into this card. Somebody asked me on Twitter, you think it's going to go over or under seven finishes? I said over and uh we did indeed hit that, uh, came close on a couple long distance, uh, fight. Don't go parlays as well. Lost it on the Lemos Hill fight. So close, uh, tempting at plus money, but either way, it was a great night of fights. A lot of fights ended inside the distance and you know, the, the knockout that everybody's going to be talking about at the water cooler will have nothing to do with the UFC at all. Despite Derek Lewis turning in another, uh, first round classic in his catalog, uh, but yeah, no, the night belongs to the problem child, Jake Paul, Cleveland, stand up, baby. He done it again. Yeah, just unbelievable. And uh, yeah, I mean, again, apart from that, like this, you know, we like to highlight boxing here as well. And then, you know, <laughs> uh, on the other channel, we were we were getting really into the freak show fights and it's just turned into a complete train wreck and the train wreck went on and I'm here to talk about it. Uh, but yeah, we let's talk about some MMA first because this was pretty decent. Uh, yeah, as you said, uh, 10 of the 13 fights did not go the distance. We had 10 finishes. If you bet fight goes the distance, no, in all 13 fights, you cashed for 6.76 units. And uh, the same amount, the favorite cashed in 10 of the 13 fights, I guess, um, Derek Lewis. Bilal Muhammad and uh, who was the other one? Melissa Gatto were the three underdogs. And apart from that, uh, we had just 
10 favorites across the board. If you bet on the favorite in every single fight, a hundred dollar better returned 225 bucks. So a very, uh, a chalk night, even though we had two dogs come through in the main and co-main. Uh, and then, you know, just before we get into it, since this is the last UFC fight, uh, last UFC card of the year, uh, I'm just going to go over the 2021 betting trends. So I, based on my numbers, uh, there might be some fights missing because we've had some no contests, and I, cu- I counted some of them and I didn't count others. But based on my numbers, there was 509 fights in the UFC in 2021. The favorite won 327 of them, a 65.7 rate, uh, 327, 171, and 10. And uh, even with that decent uh, winning rate, it did not turn a profit. Minus 4.6 units on the money line if you bet every single favorite. But uh, Fight Goes the Distance, yes, was the most profitable of the props that I track. And uh, it ended the year. 18.9 units profit, 257, 247, and five across 509 fights. And uh, the over 300, 204, and five for plus 5.4 units profit. And then uh, the uh, coin flip favorite, 87, 72, and five. Both the coin flip favorite and the dog uh, were on the negative. And uh, yeah, that's uh, 2021. Basically, I'm going to continue to track 2020. Uh, you know the trends that I usually track through 2021 into 2022. So uh, that's just basically a, a wrap for that, as far as the 2021 betting trends. But yeah, let's get into the first fight of the main card. Cub Swanson uh, defeated Darren Elkins. Swanson cashed at minus 160 on the money line. First round. KO, a wheel kick and punches basically. Uh, Swanson by TKO plus 300, three to one odds uh, inside the distance plus 260. The under cashed at plus 160. Fight goes the distance, no plus 130. And uh, yeah, you, what did you think about this one? What did you have, Liam? Yeah, so this was a great fight uh, in terms of my my betting night. A lot of my night was going to be predicated on the outcome of this fight. I had three units on Cub Swanson on the money line. That was a late ad. Uh, my man Chance Wagers, I see in the comments as well, says Cub Swanson is my hero. And, uh, dude, Cub Swanson came through for us big time, was also on um, – you know, the fight not to go the distance at plus money. Like you mentioned, this was a fight I was looking at for fight doesn't go from the second it was announced. Uh, and then on top of that, you know, I was on cub by KO 1.75 units uh, at plus 300. So big win for me there. Um, you know, big part of my winning night tonight was, uh, was cub Swanson coming through. And, you know, when I rewent, uh, like I actually had a bet on Darren Elkins to start this week at plus 185. And I cashed it out when I rewatched the tape. I bet it based on my memory. I'm like, ah, Cubs gotten caught in a bunch of subs. You know, Darren might be able to outlast him and then find a sub. And then I went back and watched the Pineda fight, and he was so sharp there. Uh, and his takedown defense was on point. And I thought that he measured his shots and beat the shit out of that guy and really hurt him. And I thought that he did the same um, in this fight. And that's what I was expecting. You know, Darren Elkins almost got knocked out by Derek Minner from the top position with elbows. Um, and you know, Derek Minner is not the offensive threat that Cub Swanson is and Cub Swanson, he just showed it off, you know, at his best, 
he picks beautiful violence in sequential order and, and ruins people. And he's done it his whole career. So, um, you know, big plus money number on the KO. Uh, and I got a shout out just win baby. Uh, he's the number one better on bet MMA. Um, when I had mentioned to him that I, I played Elkins, uh, he was like, you know, I'm on uh, Cub by KO, just so you know. I, I looked into it further, and I was like, oh, he's right. You know, sometimes when you go based off memory, you'll forget things. I thought that it was a grappling-based fight uh, in the Elkins and Minner fight. And then when I went back and rewatched it, I was like, oh, shit, he's getting hurt really bad. And that's a trend in Elkins' fights. So the fact that he hasn't been stopped more inside the distance is a testament to his heart and his, you know, toughness. But I think uh, it was an eventuality that that was going to catch up to him as well. And I, I would be concerned for him um, in future matchups if the if the person has good takedown defense and good power. Yeah, the thing about it is he's he's got, you know, he's one of those guys where he's like, he when the, when he starts bleeding, he starts fighting on another level, and he's kind of way like very similar to what he did with Derek Minner, where he just you know lost the entire fight strategically until he won it basically you know doing the juliana pena doing the rope-a-dope but without the blocking that's basically darren elkins's game plan for most fights and that i bet on him in this fight because i thought yeah i thought he was going to be able to uh i thought if he was going to be able to last for five minutes against swanson in the second round the fight might turn and Darren Elkins is one of those guys when he, every time he's an underdog, he comes through with these miraculous inside the distance bets. So it's one of those things I've talked about before where I'm not hurt by this. I've won a ton of money betting on Elkins. If I have to give one unit on the like 12 units I've made on him, it's all good. So uh, with that, Swanson improves to seven and five in his last 12 fights and he's turned a profit of 2.24 units on the money line in that stretch. Uh, yeah, this is one of those fights where basically, you know, I kind of got caught handicapping based on memory. To be honest, I really don't, didn't even remember that Pineda fight. I was just kind of stuck on the Shikadze loss for Swanson. And I was, one thing that I will say that you pointed out, how was the fight goes the distance? no, in this fight plus money you know like that was such an easy bet and 1.25 units for me i had to i was like come on yeah, either the, way yeah the story it's a to, it's totally win or lose a positive ev play and the story of this card for me was a lot of bets that i won that i really wish that i doubled down on and that was one of them and like with that said the over in the flyweight division over the past two years uh, 78, 33, and 1 for 21.64 units profit, which means that's like a 70.6 win rate. Basically, anything over like minus 210 on the over, you're making money. But this is one of those fights where it's like, I don't care about those trends in featherweight. I care about it's Swanson versus Elkins. This fight is not going the distance. And uh, yeah, another one. Uh, do you have anything else that you want to add before we move on? No, it was two violent old bastards that were yeah. going to go out there and, and try and kill each other. Um, that's who they are and legends of the game. I like both those guys. Um, you know, Featherweight's just a freaking meat grinder of a division. The fact that they've had this kind of longevity is a testament uh, to who they are. 
freaking not easy to do, uh, especially at their age. And I'm actually glad the UFC made this kind of matchup as opposed to, you know, putting these guys in with the freaking young lion that's going to just, uh, you know, expose them at this point. I feel like Darren Elkins, you know, needs to to have pretty specific matchmaking going forward. Yeah, I've noticed, uh, I forget what the fight was a couple of uh a couple of weeks ago that we talked about where it was it was that lightweight fight with the uh, the two 40 year olds i believe it was guida uh that guida fight and i noticed guida that and Santos. yeah right that was uh you know a 40 year old lightweight fight this is you know guys in their late 30s pushing 40 it at featherweight but i got to say both those fights were pretty like this fight and that fight were pretty great and the ufc uh, I feel like I noticed a trend kind of since Nick Diaz versus Robbie Lawler too. I noticed a trend where they uh, they're kind of pushing. It's almost kind of like their answer for those like triller old guy boxing fights is they're matching up these old veterans, you know, because the the old it school makes perfect MMA, sense too. Yeah, just yeah. big legacy divisions, you know. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of these fights are. A lot of these fights are great because these guys respect each other a lot. And instead of just being having to put young guys over and just getting squashed in the instance of and Swanson getting wrestled and, and getting, you know, it's like these guys come out there to throw down and have a fight. It, I, I think it's fun. I think it just makes perfect sense. Just makes perfect sense. Yeah. And that's the way, you know, they're also they're also able to get these guys kind of let them either move on or get them a new type of contract type of thing where they're able to, you know, let, get them fighting the way that kind of the, when the pandemic started, that kind of was their thing where they wanted to get guys, get them out of their contracts and get them signed to new contracts so that they can just keep rolling them over. So we see guys that are fighting four or five times a year. So, um, yeah, my point was I couldn't believe that fight goes to distance. No, was plus money in this fight, and uh, another one, the next one, the same exact thing. Uh, Matus Gamrot defeated Diego Friera. Uh, Gamrot cashes at minus two twenty five. Second round TKO with a pretty bizarre knee to the body. I guess that floating rib he caught, and uh, uh, Friera tapped to the basically a, a technical tko uh gamrot by tko plus 300 inside the distance plus 210 under two and a half rounds plus 140 fight goes this fight goes the distance no cashed at plus 160 uh what did you have on this one what'd you think liam yeah so um this was a massive um fight for my slate uh, I forgot to track a bet on fight goes the distance. No, it was actually the first bet I locked in on this fight because I saw it was at plus money. And again, that's what I was looking at to start targeting this card. Um, so I did have a play on that. Um, that was nice that that cashed. Um, I also uh, had five units on Mateus Gamrod on the money line tonight at minus 180. Um, I was on Pub Sports Radio today. And I told people to play Mateus Gamrot by sub round two and round three. Um, and so it was a little devastating, to be honestly, uh, that they graded that as a TKO. Um, he had a choke locked in when they graded yeah. that as a TKO. And on top of uh, that, the guy quit. So I'm like, he quit and he had a choke and it's a TKO. So this is a brutal game at times when you try and get specific. 
I would make the plus 3,000 bet again 10 times if you gave me the opportunity. Uh, I think CDF slows down in this fight more often than not. He can't make the weight anymore. When he does, he looks like shit. Um, and I thought he looked like shit on the scale. I thought he looked like he was uh, having a hard time in this fight in terms of gas. And I also just thought that Gamrot was doing everything I wanted him to do. He was taking him down, letting him up. So he wasn't getting caught in the grappling transitions. He's like, no, come on, keep working your way back to your feet, get tired. Uh, and then he started exploiting more predictable reactions. He got him baited on takedowns and then he threw the knee to the body, sought him clean. Uh, and I heard somebody say uh, on Twitter, and I'm not trying to blow anybody up or whatever. I don't even know who said it, to be honest, but I saw it. It was like, um, you know, before he was getting injured, I feel like CDF was like close to coming back. I was like, injured like no, no no guys he got need in the body he just that's he got beat in a fight that's uh, you don't want that to happen it's like that's not an injury that's a that's damage that somebody did it's like imagine somebody said that when they got knocked out you know i you know before i got injured in that fight i was doing really good it's like yeah but like like uh chris Dawkins can't use that one you know before before Derek lewis injured me with that big clubbing right hand you know no. it just doesn't work that way so i feel like that was just a uh, better, cleaner striking from, uh, from Gamrot here. And a couple of things that I didn't love uh, defensively was getting touched with the one, two at times, but I feel like in the top 10 at lightweight, it's kind of hard to avoid that. I thought he controlled most of the exchanges. Uh, this was not an easy fight, especially early, but he did everything well, managed it perfectly and uh, found the finish opportunistically. I thought he would. Um, so I played live inside the distance I had money on rounds two and rounds three and also the rounds two and uh, rounds three sub prop. So I feel like I had a pretty good read on that fight. And, uh, you know, a lot of people were taking the dog shot. I understand where they're coming from because I have lost a few bets on CDF, but now I feel like I know his game pretty well. And I'm like, if he's got a pressure grappler, who's not going to get submitted um, and who's not afraid to shoot takedowns, I feel like they have an advantage. And even with that four inch reach advantage, he wasn't able to keep Gamrod off of him. He was the one absorbing more of the heavy blows. Yeah, and uh, you know, usually I would most most times, you know, uh, Diego's my guy, and uh, I was surprised to start the fight uh, how good he looked in comparison to how how he looked pretty bad against Gillespie. But then as the fight went on, it seemed like I thought maybe uh, he would have learned from the Gillespie fight. And but he was just like it seemed like he was turning up the volume in all the wrong spots, and uh, even when he was hitting him, I don't think he was hitting him that hard. And Gamrot has this style, and that's what goaded him into losing against uh, Kudaladze. Uh, he just has this style where he tends to let the fight go where his opponent wants it to go, even though he's kind of better at it than like it. He he just has a kind of a in boxing, you called it, you know, uh, ring generalship. He, you know, he's really good at leading the fight. Certain guys are. I feel like Diego was good at leading the fight, but wherever the fight was being taken, Gamrot was better at. And I, I kind of feel like that was also the story in the Kudaladze fight too. And it was just so close that Kudaladze got the coin flip decision. Uh, with that said, it's. I also feel like Gamrot. You know, when he was in KSW, is very similar to this too. He's um, he plays down to his competition because there's been there was fights in KSW where he was like a minus six hundred favorite, and it wasn't it was competitive. 
you know, and that might just be the parody of KSW or whatever, but uh, he's great, but he just kind of has a tendency to be goaded into these weird type of fights where he just kind of plays fights down to his competition. Uh, with that said, I think he's the best European lightweight in the division. Uh, and I think a lot of people will say Rafa uh, Fizaev, uh, but you know, what better way to decide it? And if we're going to talk, you know, who to fight next, I think uh, Gamrot versus Fizaev is a great matchup. What do you think about that? I think that's a phenomenal matchup. That is a uh, that's that's a tricky one, man. I'd have to spend a lot of time thinking about that uh, because I thought I had Fazia figured out and he beat the fucking shit out of Brad Riddell, and I was like, okay, nope, gotta go back, gotta learn more about this guy, uh, better than I thought. So um, I won't be making the same mistake flying in blind, uh, but I do have a lot of faith in my guy Gamrot. I said before this fight, I thought he was going to be top five and. Uh, eventually, you know, I not, not trying to rush him, but I think that now he's going to be in the top 15 and, uh, people are going to know who he is and a couple impressive finishes now in a row. The UFC is going to really like that. So he's getting pushed up the card. Oh yeah. With that said, you reminded me, uh, with that said, um, Gamron improves to three and one since coming into the UFC and a hundred dollar better who's back Gamron inside the distance since he's come into the UFC in 2020 has turned a profit of $486. So he's been uh, plus money per fight uh, on the inside, the distance. So even if you're counting, even the Kudaladze decision loss, you still made money flat betting him on the inside, the distance. And there was one other thing that I wanted to touch on based on uh, what you reminded me of with Fazayev, uh, the European versus European thing. I feel like they might not want to do that because those are kind of the besides Makachev, who's Russian. Uh, those three guys are the only European guys uh, that Joel Alvarez as well. But I feel like they won't match those two guys up because they would want to keep those guys kind of uh, if they're going up the rankings, they want to have as much separate exposure. So maybe like Riddell, maybe Brad Riddell and Gamrot or maybe Gregor Gillespie. And Gamrot, but honestly, I don't want to serve my man Brad Riddell another uh, another tough fight like that right off the ripski. Yeah, see that's who's true. In this top uh, man, what's Dan Hooker up to? Yeah, I'd but like to see him defend a top ten spot. Hooker is in the same position as Riddell, where it's just like, dude, he's had a rough go, you know, from yeah. getting knocked out by Chandler and almost getting his arm. Oh, you're right. By you're Mac right. We yeah, we shouldn't give it to him. Fuck. Uh, maybe Chandler. Oh, Gamrot versus Chandler. I'd fuck with it. That's nah, Chandler's a, on. Chandler's on to bigger fights. I think. Yeah, he wants. Yeah, how do you get into this top five, man? What do you got to do? Knock out fucking. Armand or something like Jesus Christ. The lightweight division is just insane. Who do you fight in there, man? Like he's he might not honestly. If I was him, if I was his manager, I'd be like, "Yo, top, fight somebody outside the top fifteen and get another impressive finish." Who yeah, but, yeah, that's that, what I would say. Yeah, or fight like a wash. Because right like, now, what's he gonna do to get in? Like to get into that top five? It's just not like a. I don't know who in the top five would sign to fight him, and it, it's all murderers row. In like nine through fifteen, like they have this sneaky way of putting nine through fifteen as like the toughest guys at lightweight right now, bro. I I, I think that those guys are going to, uh, in the very near future, it eclipse the guys who are currently at the top. 
Yeah, I feel like Gamrot should do like take like the Charles Oliveira route and like style on a Nick Lentz type or you know let's get Gamrot in there with like Clay Guida or something you know like let's get him in there with somebody who can go the distance and just get beat up and so that he could 30 26 somebody but also maybe potentially finish them because he you know he made short work of Jeremy Stevens let's get more of those uh more of those guys um and that was that was Stevens moving up to lightweight too. Uh yeah, maybe yeah, let's give let's give you know Gamera- who's on a hot streak right now. And I don't even mean to be this guy, Bobby Green. That might be oh, great fight. that has split decision written all over it. <laughs> it really does, dude. It really does. Um I or Alexander Hernandez, that's a fun one. Uh I kind of think he would win that one, but I, that that's probably a tough fight. I'd have to look at Oh, it. I got it. I totally got it. And then we'll move on. Uh Tiago Moises. Yeah, uh, although again, he's my boy and he's been on hard times. But yeah, I mean, it it's an appropriate like matchup, but uh that poor bastard dude, he's he got served from the bottom of the barrel too. They're like, Hey, you want to fight the guy who never makes weight, who looks like he's a one seventy five pounder, uh, and then take on freaking uh uh, who was the other guy he fought? Uh, Islam. So just like murderer's row for his last two. Let's give him Gamrot next. I mean, it's just UFC lightweight though. Who like there's just who's an easy fight? You know, I'm not sure. These guys are studs. Grant Dawson. Yeah, with that said, that would every- be a fun one. I'd like him to style on Grant Dawson. Or um, Gamrot. Yeah. Or who? Uh, Anyways, let's just move on because <laughs> we can go all day with this. But yeah, anyways, the uh, the next one, pretty impressive. And this is another fight. I was just looking at it. I had three of these back to back to back pretty much save my night. Uh, I, and again, I wish I bet more. Um, Ricky Simone defeats Rafael Asuncao. Uh Simone cashes a minus one, 275 by uh, first round KO via punches. Simone TKO plus 333 inside the distance plus 265. The under two and a half rounds cashed at plus 180. And then again, fight goes the distance. No, I was on plus 160. Uh, besides that, I didn't really have a stake in this fight as far as win or loser. Uh, what did you have on this one, Liam? What did you think? Yeah, I didn't have any bets on this. I added, uh, you know, like a $5 bet or something on a sunset inside the distance for the culture. Um, and he just looked a little shot here, in my opinion. Um, don't know that he's going to get another fight with the UFC. Uh, looked visibly slower. Uh, wrestling defense wasn't there, and it used to be, I thought. Uh, I thought he used to be a more clever counter-wrestler. Had very little to offer, I thought, tonight. And... Um, yeah, disappointing. Uh, I, I saw, I think it was uh, Boxing Bush uh, from Heavy Hands said, uh, Father Time comes for all of us. And for Rafael Sunsau, he was able to evade it for a little longer. Like something like that. And uh, it's the truth. You know, he's like 39. He should have probably aged out a while ago at Bantamweight. But he clung to it for a while. And, you know, I thought this was, I, I said before the event that this was a night where a lot of fighters are you coming or going and uh, Wonderboy Thompson probably going this fight, probably going, you know, it's just uh we, we had to learn. We had to ask some tough questions of uh, some of the older guys on this card. You know, not every matchup can be 
uh, Cub Swanson, Darren Elkins, some of the young guys got to fight the old guys to see who's who. And, uh, you know, this was a tough one for Rafael. I think uh, might might be the end of him in the UFC. Yeah. Two brutal ones in a row. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised that they didn't feed. Maybe they still will, though, actually. I'm surprised that they didn't feed a sunset out of Sean O'Malley because that I was seems just like about to, I knew you were going to say that I'm I'm yeah I'm just looking at the rankings right now and I'm also shocked that well I guess that'll be fixed as of Monday Simone will likely a sunset probably won't be ranked anymore or maybe he'll he'll slide down to 15th and no I, he'll probably won't be ranked anymore but unless if they're not going to give O'Malley another fight it, like a, a ranked fighter next I can see them letting him style on Osunsao. And depending on his contract, obviously, because that was the last of his contract, which usually makes sense for these type of end-of-the-year fights. They just want to rush these type of guys out, out of there and help move them on. But otherwise, I think O'Malley's Sunsao makes sense just on uh, somebody declining that O'Malley could style on. But besides that, I don't know. Yeah, Ricky Simone... Uh, yeah, this guy, I believe, uh, yeah, he improves now to 12-2 and two since 2017. A $100 better who has backed him on the money line in that stretch has turned a profit of $458. So if you think about that, 12-2, and two, $458, that means he's been coming in as a monstrous favorite in all of these fights. This is a guy who I think is, um, it's not even that he's underrated, it's just that He's he hasn't had the matchup. I don't know what it is about him, but I, I got you know what it is. Guys are scared to fight him. That's what it is, and uh, we need to see more of Ricky Simone, uh, basically from in 2022 on because he's he's a killer man. And this is one of those fights where it was just pretty much too obvious for me. I wasn't going to take a shot on the dog, and I didn't like the price on Simone, and I thought he could finish him. So, yeah, fight goes to distance. No came through. Besides that, uh, do you have anything else to say about this one? No, this was one of my lowest exposure fights on the card. Uh, Ricky Simone at, at the huge, uh, like, minus figure was just something I wasn't interested in playing. So I, I basically put this one to the side. I thought he would win, but I didn't like the prize. Yeah, and again, as as far as the Sun Tzu goes, probably doesn't have it anymore on the UFC level. Uh and then, you know, speaking of someone who does still have it on the UFC level and might have just outright got robbed tonight, uh, Angela Hill drops another split decision in her career, the fourth, fourth, the fourth split decision in her UFC career uh, against Amanda Lemos. Lemos cashes at minus 264 on the money line plus 115 by decision the over comes through minus 225 fight goes the distance yes minus 182 uh liam what did you have on this one what did you think yeah so uh i had a seven legger fight doesn't go the distance and this was the one that <clears throat> shit out on me so got it at plus money but um yeah unfortunate you know i think that this was a um a good fight. I thought that it played out, you know, pretty similar to my expectations. Looked a lot like the in a way fight uh, where, you know, early on you see good lands, good damage, good power from the Lemos side. You know, I played Lemos by sub here. 
I had an untracked one unit bet on um, on Angela Hill money line at plus three ten, um, and I I didn't track the spot because I just missed the line movement. Uh, it had already moved to like plus two seventy. Didn't want to throw up uh, you know a line that wasn't playable for people, but yeah, it was a line that I did get in on myself. I thought that Angela Hill you know probably deserved to win the second and third rounds, but admittedly I was watching it while on live stream, so I'd have to give these fights you know, an honest rewatch to, to, you know, stand by my score. But yeah, I think that uh, it was a very close fight. Could have definitely gone her way. Feel bad for her that all these splits have gone against her. Um, you know, it's just tough break, tough sport. And uh, I, I don't know exactly what to make of it. I think that uh, Lemos just had the better power optics. And, you know, I think she probably could have taken it back in round three. I thought round two was probably for Angela Hill watching it live, but you know, I've seen people after the fact say they thought round two was like the swing round. So, you know, I got I got to watch that with uh, fresh eyes. But, you know, impressive performance from Angela Hill here with her back up against the wall as a big underdog. And, uh, you know, I think that if you backed her uh, by decision, if you backed her on the money line, uh, you probably made a, a better plus EV bet than if you backed Lemos on the money line. But that being said, you know, maybe this is just a fight that, Lemos wins a close decision more often than not. You know, she does have the better power. She did have the finishing upside as well in the matchup. So I think that's important to consider. But uh, yeah, Angela Hill, the toughness and durability as well, because she got rocked and like sat, I like really badly hurt with that front kick um, to the face early on and uh, recovered well. I thought she would get clubbed and subbed. You know, I thought she was a liability on the ground. And I, I thought that Lemos wasn't really able to take advantage. And there it is. You know, I just thought that Angela Hill um, could have done a little bit more to come on stronger. You know, that it's the problem with her fight style. You know, she just doesn't really let it all go. I thought she would throw a little bit more in combination when she had Lemos backed up and uh, she clinched a lot and thought that she was winning it optically by pressing against the fence. But, you know, when they separate Lemos just landed the louder, you know, uh, yeah. more, impactful looking shot. So it, it, it's tough. It's tough. It, it's a close fight. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll say this after she got kicked in the head, honestly, that the, the latter part of that first round is some of the best looking hands of Angela Hill. I've seen in a long time, like the best I've seen it. She looked great. And yeah, I, I feel like, I feel like the, I'm not going to say that was a robbery. I, that's ridiculous. Like a robbery is when like a clear 30, 27 goes the other way. That wasn't a clear 27. And people who say that don't really know what they're talking about. <laughs> uh, simple as that. But yeah, Angela Hill is queen of the bad beat with, I, you know, you go back, you look at her. I believe that she, you know, they said on the broadcast, she has four career split decisions. You go back and you look at that. A list of split decisions. I remember specifically the off the top of my head, the Claudia Good Dahlia fight. The, she won that fight too. I scored that for Angela Hill. Uh, so that's two off the top of my head based on what I've scored. I thought she won both of those. So, uh, but that being said, not a robbery because I have a real big threshold of what a robbery is. And uh, in a in a three round fight. It's a clear 30-27 going the other way. And that's not that wasn't what that was. That was that was a toss-up. I could have you could have made a case for either fighter winning. Uh it is what it is. And it also makes, you know, a lot of us are biased because 
uh, Angela Hill was a public play. So that's why kind of the perception is that she got robbed. But really, you know, Amanda Lemos is a tank, right? And you got to, and Angela Hill is super tough. A lot of other girls would have dropped. And with that said, I don't have a problem ever betting in a women's strawweight fight. Fight goes to distance, no, is is a good bet. And um, the under has cashed at a crazy rate. I've talked about this before, like at 37% rate uh, since the start of last year. So the under now has gone 20, 36, yeah, 20 and 36 for 4.77 units profit in the women's strawweight division. So basically, if you're getting any, you know, plus 175 or better on the fight goes to distance, no, in this division, especially with top 10 or top 15 girls, uh, it's a good bet. It's a positive EV bet, win or lose. So with that said, Lamos improves to five and one since her 2017 UFC debut. And a hundred dollar better who's back Lamos on the money line in that stretch has turned a profit of three hundred and twenty-five dollars. Uh so she's been pretty chalky throughout her career uh in the UFC. So yeah. Uh anything else you want to say about that one before we move on? Um yeah, I would just say, you know, try and try and just uh be reasonable with with how you interpret these uh outcomes, guys. Like if you can watch the fight and go, ah, that round was close, then that means it's not a robbery. You know, if there's one round that's like that, you know, the only way it's a robbery is if everything is decisive and then they get it wrong. But when it's up in the air and it's left to human judgment, you just can't expect that everybody's going to come out the same way. We all bring in some biases to the cage. Like I, I come from a wrestling and grappling background. So even, even uh, unintentionally, Sometimes I'll bias myself towards one style, another, somebody I like, somebody I know, somebody who came from a similar background, whatever it is. And so you just got to keep that in mind and try and take out the human error and try and make good bets that that have a good chance of winning and, and then let the chips fall where they may. Put your money in a good position, hope for the best. And uh, if you make good bets over time, you make money, but you just can't expect to win every one of them. Beats go our way, right? Like if you were a Lemos backer tonight, you got bailed out. Okay, that, that happens sometimes. But sometimes it's going to go the other way too, right? And that's why you can get caught slipping on a banana peel when you get overconfident on a minus 300 favorite and think there's no way they could lose this fight. They are the, the better. Yeah, it doesn't matter who's the better fighter. It matters who's, who's better on the night. And uh, Angela Hill, I thought, was better on the night. But, you know, Amanda Lemos uh, sneaks out of there with her record still intact. Yeah, and we talked about this before. Uh, you know, MMA and combat sports is basically the only sport where the winner and the loser can be determined instantly, right? It's one of those sports where there's variance on a huge degree. And, you know, we talked about it with Oliveira and Poirier. You know, just because Oliveira beat Poirier that night, it doesn't mean that he beats him every night. And MMA is one of those sports that it's just variance plays such a huge level and if it's not your night it's not your night and that can be said for the judges too and do i think angela hill won this fight yeah but i'm not gonna you know go i'm not freaking out over it and that's another thing too to bring up is also just like bankroll responsibility and having discipline and not not betting too much and the positive ev play on this 
uh, on this fight, in my opinion, was a small wager on Angela Hill, which I didn't play, and then uh, the fight goes the distance. No, but beyond that, uh, you couldn't play Lamos at that money because this I, is I a- had them both and they didn't cash. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. And uh, Lamos at that price, I feel like, uh, I don't know, against Angela Hill. One of the things she said, you know, Angela Hill's the toughest, the toughest girl that Lamos has fought. And I believe that that was true. And we saw it tonight. So, yeah, let's move on to the co main event. Uh, Bilal Muhammad comes through as uh, cashes at a plus 195 underdog with the unanimous unanimous decision victory over Wonderboy Thompson. Crazy 30-25. I don't think anybody has ever done that to Wonderboy. Uh, Muhammad, by decision, comes through at plus 350. The over two and a half rounds, which was a very popular play throughout the week. Over two and a half rounds, cash at minus 275. Fight goes a distance. Yes, cash at minus or yeah, cash at minus 225. And uh, yeah, Bilal Muhammad comes through. Liam, what did you have? What did you think about this one? Yeah, so um, no bets here for me, and uh, I'm I'm pretty glad overall that I didn't end up pulling the trigger on anything here, um, because I I would have leaned Wonder Boy pre-fight. I thought this was going to be you know a winnable spot for him. I didn't love the small cage. But I thought that, you know, based on the style I've seen from him recently, he's been planting his feet a little bit more. He's been throwing more punches, a little more active there. You know, I think a lot of times I've seen Bilal be single leg happy. And I thought that Wonder Boy would be able to defend that. And, um, you know, I thought that Bilal fought a perfect fight. I think we talked about it a little bit pre-fight. Um, you know, if you want to fight Wonder Boy, you got to get close to him. You got to prevent him from getting into a rhythm. You got to, you know, establish something early and Bilal got on him early and never let him off the hook. And I think what he did different uh, than Gilbert was he tried to threaten him with punches and like strikes. Uh, It wasn't the threat of a submission. And he used the threat of strikes to advance positions as well and get you thinking about one thing, covering up uh, you occupying hands and using it to advance his position on the ground. And so he was actually able to, implement the same game plan more effectively um, and probably with a little bit more foresight. Uh, I think Gilbert had like the broad tools to win the fight, right? He's got good grappling. He's got good wrestling. He's got pretty decent cage cutting, but that was it. You know, it didn't all flow together very well. That's why it was a close hard fought win there for uh, Gilbert Burns. This was actually a much more clear route for Palal Muhammad. And he almost finished him in the first round. Um, kind of thought that that should have been should have been called or could have been called. And, um, you know, Bilal Muhammad just can't finish a sandwich. Huh? That's what I, uh, I I found myself saying after that, like how many fights can the guy have? Um, and this was like a fight where he came through so big and just couldn't find that finish. You know, Wonder Boy seemed like he was a little bit content to ride it out till, uh, you know, the, the end of the fight. And, I literally saw moments in round two where Wonder Boy was looking up at the ceiling, like reevaluating life. Like, what am I going to do next? You know, what's your, where, where should I move? You know, what should I, like, he's just like thinking about all the things going on in life, holding on to Bilal in the half guard. I'm like, for, for fuck's sake, this one's over. Yeah, he didn't look good. And 
I'll say this, like Bilal Muhammad made it look easy against Wonder Boy tonight, but I feel like a lot lesser fighters go in there and just get starched by Wonder Boy trying to do the same thing. But again, with that said, 30-25, 30-26, unreal performance. But again, with that said, boring, boring, boring fight. And we like it because we're purists, but as far you know, you go look on Twitter uh everyone was shitty on that fight just everyone was shitty on just people wanted to see wonder boy style and they saw Bilal muhammad wrestle fuck him for 15 minutes and again uh the small cage i feel like was something that a lot of people didn't uh didn't factor in i i it, and this it was a huge factor muhammad took two steps forward and he was in the space he was he could have got him easily and wonder boy had a lot less angles to work with. He had no space. And uh, yeah. Um, and with you, what you said, Bilal Muhammad is, he's a decision machine. He improves to 11 and three since coming into the UFC in 2016. And if you've bet a hundred dollars on him to win by decision in every fight that he's had since then, you're up $1,142. So he's been just a complete, decision machine and then as far as wonder boy goes uh i feel like he should if that was the end of his contract which again seems to be kind of the thing that happens with a lot of these end of the year december fight cards is they they kind of just try to rush these guys who are on the last fight of their contract out the door before the end of the calendar year if that's the case with wonder boy uh wonder boy should go to bellator and we should finally get to see Wonder Boy versus Michael Venom Page, because that I that would be just it actually might be a staring contest, but even if it is, it'll be in Bellator and it won't be a. It, it, <laughs> and they've never done that before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's just I, I feel like let's make it happen. And also, I'll say this before we move on to the next fight to the main event. It's fitting that both. Wonder Boy and Tyron Woodley took gigantic L's tonight. Uh, kind of an end of an era for both those dudes in their, you know, the peak of their combat sports career. Basically, coming to an end, one guy coming to a halting screech, and uh, the other guy kind of easing off. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> uh, anything else you want to say about that one before we move on to the main event? I don't know if this is crazy, but. Uh, just thinking about who's next for Wonder Boy if he is still with the UFC. There's somebody else that doesn't have many fights left on their deal. Nathan Diaz looking for a fight. What do you think about that one? Wonder Boy against Nate Diaz? Hey, it's a bounce back for Wonder Boy. The UFC gets what they want, which is Nate Diaz leaving on an L potentially. But it's also a fight that Nate wants because it's not a fight where somebody wrestle fucks him to death. It's just an idea. I'm just throwing something out, seeing if it sticks. It's fucking 5.08 in the morning. Maybe I'm crazy. That was just what stood out to me looking at the rankings real quick. I was like, where else does Wonder Boy go from here, you know? Who else does he fight that's, like, really fun? Wow, that might be so crazy. Michelle Pereira? Yeah, no, but... Uh, <laughs> that would be violent. Yeah, that might be so crazy. It works, though, uh, with, with Nate... Wow, that'd be a good one. I like it, dude. That would be like so it. 
That would be really, it would be like the nicest guy ever against the biggest dick in the industry. Yeah, <laughs> that would, I think yeah. that's nice uh, parody, you know? It'd be nice to see those guys at a press conference. Yeah, that would be wild. What a just stylistic clash that would be. And like not even taking anything away, like Nate is really good at what he does, but just he's so unorthodox and so is Wonder Boy. That would be wild. Yeah. See this? You know what Dana White looks for, Al Mac? It's not a great fight. It's interesting. Yeah. We found something interesting. And then uh to pivot to Muhammad before we move on, I feel like the 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 go-to is just to run back the Leon Edwards eye poke rematch, right? Because they're both sitting out in purgatory. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I, I would also uh you know, I'd like to see that Comzot fight. Not. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm. I feel like Bilal's um, the kind of guy who would say yes to that fight. You know, I just I, I'm looking around, going, not a lot of guys want to say yes to that fight. Yeah, Bilal's he, on a big win streak. That would be the credibility I think Jemayev needs to get that you know title shot. Maybe if not the title shot, then the next, uh, like the Colby fight, the next step up, something big. Yeah, I, that's what exactly what I was about to say. The only problem is that I don't know if that's a good matchup just size-wise for Muhammad because he's oh, it's a always, horrible, horrible yeah. matchup for Bilal. I full disclosure, right? Uh, I think um, what's a good matchup for Bilal? Um, we we just five, we, five, we just saw it. <laughs> yeah, Masvidal. And I, that's not a good matchup for him either necessarily. I just mean like what's winnable for him. In the top, like, you know, the top of the rankings, maybe Masvidal. Um, yeah, he would never, ever, ever take that fight, though. <laughs> never. What about he, Magny? Magny's ranked up there. And, you know, he's a guy that people aren't normally jumping out of bed for his fights, like Bola Muhammad. Maybe we match those guys up and have a, a milk toast, uh, welterweight, welterweight fight to go in the middle of a fight night somewhere in Wichita or, you know, I'm just throwing out ideas again. <laughs> Yeah, Chance Wagers has a good point. Uh, Bilal Muhammad called out everybody, but he left Chemayev's name out. <laughs> that is pretty funny. A lot of guys avoiding that. But as you said, I think that that would be – and another factor is that a lot of these guys, um, they if they're smart, they take a calculated loss and fight Chemayev now like uh, the leech did because he's going to beat a lot of people and he's going to get a lot better. So, you know, take a calculated loss and lose to him now. Uh, who so knows, you man? You get the rematch when he's the champion in five years. Yeah, yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah, take the Leon, the Leon Edwards uh, route. Well, no, never mind. Anyways, mm -hmm. we, we've gone too long on this one. Let's go to the, uh, the main event and... And uh, this was this is another one of those cards. It seems to be one of these things that happens to me where it's just like I'm back and forth. I'm just on the cusp of making money, losing money, making money, losing money. And then uh, like almost like clockwork, the, the main event, I just seem to have a good solid read on these higher profile fighters. And it just seems to turn around for me where a lot of these cards I'm losing going into either the co-main or the main. And then it turns around and I'm like, oh, how did I make money tonight? But I did. And uh, Derek Lewis does it again, comes through as a as a plus 125 underdog 
first round KO of Chris Dawkins. Inside the distance, plus 187. TKO, plus 175. The under one and a half rounds prop, cash it plus 110. And then fight goes the distance. No was, you know, probably a a solid uh, parlay piece. I didn't have any any part of that. Uh, But yeah, fight goes the distance. No comes through at minus 400, a solid parlay piece. You know, there's there's no way this one was going to go the distance. Although Lewis does have uh, an insane, I think one of the biggest, uh, one of the biggest decision wins ever, which is against Francis Nagano, where he cashed it like 12 to one odds. But anyways, with that, Lewis improves to 17 and six since his 2014 UFC debut and a hundred dollar better who has backed Lewis on the money line in this stretch has turned a profit of twelve hundred and four dollars. Liam, uh, what did you have on this one? What did you think? Yeah, so uh pre-fight, nothing in terms of tracked bets. I was up pretty big on the night, so I was uh, you know, effing around, throwing a little bit on my boy uh Chris Dawkins um inside the distance at the plus one fifteen tag. I knew somebody was going down here. Um, and honestly, I was just impressed by Derek's performance. Um, you know, he did everything he needed to do. He's the bigger guy in this matchup. Um, he needed to not let Dawkins run away with it early in terms of, uh, adding up strikes, um, because Dawkins throws more and he throws a lot. And so he could get up on the strike count pretty fast if you let him. And, um, you know, Derek kept him away with some like big winging power shots. That's what he's known to do. I actually think that what really got Dawkins like scrambled from his game plan was a, a right kick to the face uh, that he didn't see coming. And I think that Derek is one of the few guys who's able to do that shit at heavyweight, uh, like bring a kick up to your face. He's really athletic um, where a lot of guys are not. Um, they're like, you know, maybe decent skills uh, in one area of the game, but they're actually not good athletes. Derek can do freaky shit, like do jumping switch kicks and uh, throw a, a high kick right to your head in one second at heavyweight. So I think that made the difference. You know, he was just a little more dynamic. I thought Dawkins had a lot of the right ideas coming in. You know, he was touching with the jab. He was trying to hit him with the leg kicks, which is, you know, pretty critical, I think, to beating Derek. And uh, he just got caught and he's like 30 pounds less than Derek. I am I was a little confused that the UFC made this matchup for Chris as like his next progression. I thought there was maybe a logical step in between here um, from the quality of competition he had been facing. Uh, and the size uh, to going up against a beast, truly, in every sense of the word, like Derek Lewis. So that's why I didn't invest pre-fight here. Dawkins has been a, a absolute money train for me in the UFC. Um, I bet on him in basically every fight. Uh, and in the last couple ones by KO1 and KO uh, and 1 and 2. And so I, I've had a pretty decent read. Um, thought that somebody was going to get finished here. So bet the unders... Um, uh, two and a half though. I bet alternates. And then I also bet the, uh, fight doesn't start round three. I had fight doesn't go the distance in parlays. I had fight doesn't start round four and five in parlays. So yeah, I thought that this fight was, uh, was definitely going to end early. I just didn't know who it was going to be. And, uh, I think Derek Lewis, um, you know, he maximizes his win condition more than almost anybody, you know, he's a pretty knockout or bust kind of fighter and he just seems to hit that condition a lot. So God bless him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that Dawkins is uh, two things. I think, one, he wanted to try to just fast-track this pretty light or this pretty thin uh, heavyweight division, pun intended. And I also think that he saw 
uh, Derek Lewis look really bad against Cyril Gaon and was just like, I can beat this guy. But that being said, Cyril Gaon is really good and he makes really good fighters look really bad. So as soon as I saw How about Dante like, Mays. <laughs> yeah. From earlier in this card, dude. I, I was like, oh, he's a D1 wrestler now? All right. Yeah. Wow. And and yeah, I was I said just as you said, I was confused that Dawkins took this fight, but he probably honestly legitimately as sad as this is, he probably wanted a payday before Christmas. He just quit his job uh with the police force. So that's probably why he took this fight it's because you know the ufc needed a main event they were going to give him a boatload of money probably for it and he took it and this is what happens you know and Derek lewis so you uh, want to be a fighter right yeah and so. again i was so conf this was the easiest this was you know like as soon as we were done last week uh i i opened up uh CombatOdds.ca, and I looked at the odds, and I was like, "Derek Lewis is an underdog against Chris Dacus. Like, that's the bet, and like, that's it. That's my handicapping. I don't need to look at anything. Derek Lewis should not be the underdog. Basically, against like two or three guys on Earth, Derek Lewis should not be the underdog. And at some point, someone's gonna figure this out. Uh, and yeah, like you said, Derek Lewis has like the best." ufc4 move set like he it, he just has the best like video game move set where he can do you know the jumping switch switch kicks and the spinning wheel kick and the high kick and stuff like that it's just especially at like 260 and yeah he he wrecked docus easily and um all-time ufc ko king now with 13 knockouts and yeah, I, I like I said to reiterate what I just said. Derek Lewis is a different kind of heavyweight. He's a classic heavyweight. He's more akin to that older generation of UFC fighters. But the, you know, the with the heavyweights, it's there's there's a lot of guys that are more one dimensional. Um, but he's one of the best heavyweights of all time. Period. And he's one of those guys that he might go up to fight for the belt to you know th three or four times in his career he's already went for it twice and lost he's going to be one of those guys that goes and fights for the belt because he might not be able to beat the very best in the division but he could be everybody else like he is the you know the the just the rock solid number two in the division you know you look at his losses Cyril gone uh you know look at his ufc losses at least Cyril gone uh, and then the loss JDS. to yeah JDS, JDS who's 2019 was the scary one to me also also um, world champion a world champion and then he also lost to Mark Hunt which is you know a legendary striker and and that was in one of the times when you know Derek Lewis had a really bad back at a point in his career and he took a whole bunch of time off and he got surgery and he came back and he rehabbed that back injury and that's why he's kind of had this renaissance um but in my opinion unanimous first ballot hall of famer and i don't care if he never wins a title this guy is he's one of the best ufc at least heavyweights of all time hands down and uh with that said you know uh, the fight to make is lewis versus stipe because why not you know like it, it's I just feel you i mean it's never been made before so that definitely makes sense to me and um 
Chance is asking, is Derek Lewis a gatekeeper? And I kind of thought so. But the more I think about it, you know, I could definitely see what you're saying, Al, in the, in the sense that he could he could fight for the title again. It's a thin division. Um, I don't know, though. Like, the, does Derek Lewis I, – I, I'm, I'm just not sure about the Aspinalls and some of these guys um, that are on the come up. Like, I, he's, Aspinall. Been, he's been getting away with this stuff, dude. But I'm telling you, yeah. what, what I saw on tape that made me think Doc has had a chance is that, like, he's a little bit slower now. And fast punchers have given him problems. Like yeah. Junior Dos Santos gave him problems. And uh, Matt Mitrione, like early in the UFC, yeah. like, fucked him up fast and just like boxed him. And I think that people that try and wrestle this guy fucking die. That's what yeah. happens most of the time. And I think this time, you know, Dawkins like tried to strike with him and just got beat. But like that could have been anybody's fight. Derek's just a bigger guy, hits harder and more experience. So makes sense that he wins. I think when he steps into like the higher level competition, he is still a little bit slow and a little bit plotting. And like, I think Cyril gone does the same thing twice. If they fight again, like, I, Oh I, yeah. I would, oh, I would 100%. Bet it again way more the second time. 100%. And I never said, I never said he would have a shot. I'm saying apart from, you know, and let's, you know, for full disclosure, he has a he could beat Francis again too. And he has a win over Francis Nagano, who is the champion. Although, right dude, now. that fight, like literally, I know the literally the back, nothing happened, and it's nothing literally happened. one of the worst fights of all time. And it's yeah. when Derek Lewis had a, a was he came back too fast from the back injury, and he was you know he was they were both gassed. That's literally goes down as one of the worst fights of all time. And uh, but Derek Lewis won. <laughs> it's that simple. Um, uh, By throwing seven leg kicks, he beat him. Yeah, and uh, I'll say this to um, to Chance Wagers: He's not a it, you know a gatekeepers. You know, it kind of has like a disrespectful. Uh, uh, it just it carries this disrespectful tone. But I say this with all due respect. Derek Lewis is a gatekeeper for the very top of the division. You know, like I would say, you know, Arlovsky is a gatekeeper for the top 15, right? Derek Lewis is a gatekeeper for the very best. You know, Cyril Gaon, Francis Nagano, and now I'm saying Stipe. Let's put him in there with Stipe. And you, you said Tom Aspinall. Tom Aspinall is one of the only other guys that I would be like, yeah. Because it's those guys that are fleet of foot at heavyweight that Derek Lewis has problems with. And Aspinall, a lot more fleet of foot than Chris Dawkins, you know? And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Good point. I, I, this, this is a stupid question. But those two have those two should probably cross paths, Dawkins and Aspinall. They kind of ruin yeah, that now with see? this. They kind of ruin oh, that I mean now with they just need to get him one more win. You know, I think give Doc his six months off. Uh, let him decide what weight class he's going to be. Probably heavyweight. But if he's going to be heavyweight, I think, you know, maybe maybe let's get back to 242 or something. I think Stipe kind of learned this the hard way, too. It, you just don't want to be too undersized against these bigger heavyweights. Um, you know, I think it, it it's a problem. Uh, and I thought that Stipe against Francis in the second fight – like it was so evident the weight difference. Um, Chance says Aspinall would spark Dawkins. I could actually see that too. So yeah, let's get my boy Dawkins some some low level heavyweights again to to piece up. I was having yeah. fun when he was doing that. 
Let's get him in there with Blagnoy Ivanov. Yep, works for me. Actually, that guy is a lot tougher than people give him credit for. He went, I believe, he went the distance with Derek Lewis. So, dude, I believe and, he got stabbed in the heart yeah. and kept living. So, no, yeah, in the in, in the stomach. In the stomach. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. He's he got has a like, scar to prove it. <laughs> actually, I, I I seen that dude fight live once. He's actually he's he, that guy is actually a lot better than we give him credit for. I don't think we've seen him since like 2019, though. I don't even know if he's still in the rankings. But anyways, he is let's, 13. I can't remember. I I think the last time he fought might have been Derek Lewis. <laughs> but anyways, so yeah, we go from, I guess that's a wrap for 2021. Uh, as far as the UFC goes, uh, you know, just a, an inch and it, we're going, you know, from heavyweight, from heavyweight to wrap up 2021 to, from to the heavyweights to kick off 2022 with Nagano and Cyril gone. And, you know, we already touched on that, so we're not going to go over it again, but we, we will go over is the absolute freak show, disappointing, uh, just complete. It's a freak show. That's all we can call it was the freak show that went on tonight uh, in a fight that was, you know, this fight was somehow worse than the first fight. Uh, as far as just action goes, uh, Jake Paul defeats Tyron Woodley, comes through as a minus 200 betting favorite with a six-round vicious KO. One, of, if you were just a strict boxing fan, it's one of the it's one of the great like one of the nicest KOs of 2021. Uh, so yeah, Paul cashes plus 180 inside the distance, two to one odds by TKO under six and around under six and a half rounds. Cashes at plus 150. Fight goes the distance. No. Cashes at plus 120. Uh, real quick, give me your thoughts. I know that you only saw uh, a little bit of it, but <laughs> give me your thoughts about one of the, you know, a dark day in mixed martial arts <laughs> for Tyron Woodley getting just completely statued by Jake Paul, the YouTuber. Yeah, I mean... I didn't think that he was going to get statued, but I did think that he was going to lose the fight convincingly again, you know, and I, I bet Jake the first time um, I've had a really good read on Jake Paul fights, um, honestly. And that that's no claim to fame, but it is the truth. Uh, I bet um, him in his last fight, I told everybody that would listen to me, please don't bet Ben Askren against this guy. He's going to get finished. Um, and, uh, man, just not not a. Uh, I, I don't think it really reflects anything about MMA, to be honest with you. I think these are guys who, with all due respect, are are looking for money and opportunity on the way out of their career. And you know, it's a dangerous game. And I think that that's what Tyron Woodley learned tonight. I think he thought he could take this fight, wrap him up, you know, push him around a little bit, make it a closer fight, save face a little bit, maybe win, but ultimately just get another paycheck out of it. And instead now he gets a ton of embarrassment. Um, so I, I feel for the guy, you know, put it all on the line. This is what combat sports is, but Chael Sonnen says it best. You know, when you walk into a fight, everything you have, you bring it with you. And uh, you know, that means if you're the UFC champion, you bring it with you and uh, tough, tough for a UFC champion to get knocked out by uh, a kid who's roided up and been doing boxing four years. But it's like, that's what happens, you know, when old men take fights with 
young guys with a lot of money who don't have anything else to do and don't have anything else to lose. So I just felt like this was a disaster for Tyron Woodley. You know, even if you try to take up pure boxing as a fucking 37 or 38 year old, it's just a, a you know, failure uh, uh, to launch, you know, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. And I, I didn't mean like that. It reflected mixed martial arts as a sport. I just meant yeah. like, you know, the fans and, you know, Woodley was such a, uh, you know, a beloved character, at least with like, you know, the older diehard MMA fans when he was kind of getting dicked around a lot by the UFC when he was champ and he waited out fights and stuff like that, waited for the fight that he wanted. Uh, so he kind of got, you know, he was, uh, especially with like Mama Woodley and stuff like that. He was just like a beloved character and just like the MMA sphere. And of course, I don't mean that it, it reflects badly on MMA. He's in the, he might never fight MMA again. But uh, yeah, the thing about it is this fight was just, it, it was just brutal. Like, I think it might have had to do with the 12 day factor. But, uh, you know, you put two guys in there who have, you know, I know Jake Paul has been uh, training rest, uh, training boxing professionally for quite a while, but I feel like just his wrestling tendencies come out in these big, high-level contests where it's just every single time they miss a punch, they go for the underhooks. And the clinching in this fight was just terrible, and it was a boring fight. And like, I'll just reiterate exactly what we were talking about before we went on the air similar to like uh sergio pettis horiguchi uh with pettis just turning the fight around with one swift punch uh you know jake paul turned the public opinion around with that one punch on jake paul on tyron woodley because this fight was it was terrible it was unwatchable and the referee was like, come on, guys. Come on, y'all. The commentators, Al Bernstein was like, this is pretty tough to watch. He said that on the, the pay-per-view that they paid, that people paid for. And then everything that I just said, we will all forget about. Because Jake Paul viciously KO'd Tyron Woodley and turned all public opinion around. And, you know, I was boring, boringly scrolling through Twitter uh, I just glanced over at my computer while watching the fight, and I saw Luke Thomas tweeted, "Jake Paul viciously KOs Tyron Woodley," and I thought, I like, <laughs> I thought, like, this is a poor attempt at Luke making a joke, and because he was there, so he must have, you know, I was watching the 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 pay per views, so I, you know, uh, there was no delay, and I was just like, that has to be a joke. And no, it wasn't a joke and just unreal. And the thing that I got to say is like uh, Jake Paul timed it out. He fainted. He fainted to the body. He fainted to the body again and then went up high. And then he went up high and Woodley sees the punch coming, covers up. But then he drops his elbow because I guess that he was worried that that Paul was going to go for the body again. And he drops his elbow and at the last second. And I've never seen worse technique in the midst of a fight that he he was up. I believe he was up. And it was a terrible fight to score, but I thought he was up. And just terrible technique, dropping his elbow. And just absolutely unbelievable. He, he statued him. And uh, both fighters seemed off. It was a weird fight. The energy was dull. And I even tweeted out, you know, is the era of freak show fights over? Because this is deflating to watch. 
nope <laughs> you know it's, it's not back over. on it's back yeah. he literally yeah. he literally was like it's off boys i'm sorry <laughs> all right boys we're back on like, crazy, dude. Crazy. i'm not fucking that's leaving what, that's what the game is man that's what the game is it can yeah. all turn on a dime public public perception it just changes fast man and uh jake paul it was you know he can't knock anybody out he's a real fighter he can only knock out a a basketball player or a YouTuber or this, they're going to say it until he knocks out a Tommy Fury or somebody like this. I don't know that he will, but I just feel like uh, he's going to keep taking uh stiffer challenges. And I, I don't know, man, from everything I've seen, he does get a little bit better fight over fight. Um, and he works on his skills, you know, like he, it's not like he comes in these fights and just tries to like power punch somebody um, with a barrage of punch. Like he has boxing skill and uh, that's enough to beat a bunch of guys from MMA. I hate to say, uh, but that being said, if we could send some of our better representatives over, I'd be down for that. That'd be fun. <laughs> yeah. He's got like a nice, a cool little, he's got a very smart gimmick though right now where he's bringing people over Brilliant. from a sport that he has an advantage in. You know, and it's it's just he's going to make him. Now he has a win over a UFC champion, a knockout win, a stunning knockout, highlight reel knockout win over a UFC champion. And uh, really quickly, we'll try to wrap this up because we've been going too long here. But really quickly, did you see the the dude wipes thing with uh, the the, uh, the pitch on, on Tyron Woodley's shorts? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and dude, I I was I tweeted out, you know, at least dude wipes had a good night because they, you know, everyone's gonna see that. And then they tweeted me, tweeted at me, hey, Tyron's our guy, but sometimes shit happens, and oh. they, <laughs> they oh. must have. That's a like a cold there, bro. So cold, but really quickly, uh, I I want to talk about this because this is the meat of the issue next fight for jake paul and this is one that a lot of people aren't talking about anderson silva right i feel like that would be interesting because i think jake paul would potentially take anderson silva lightly he would go out there and try to do the same thing that uh he, you know he did to woodley and i feel like anderson silva would go out there and do the same thing to jake paul that he did to tito ortiz uh do, and then do you think that uh that jake would take that fight I, I think Anderson's that Anderson's the same size as him, which yeah, he has I, not proven that he will take a fight with somebody his size yet. But he's old, right? He's like 47 or 46 or 47 years old. Yeah, yeah, but I I feel like he would take on Connor before he would take on Anderson. Do you know what I mean? Like he wants to oh, yeah, take somebody yeah. who's small. Yeah, uh, maybe. I feel like I, I, I like where your head's at because Anderson, again, one of our better representatives, somebody is not going to make a complete fool of us, could get knocked out, did get knocked out by Uriah Hall on the way out of the UFC, but I think that this is possible. You know, I think this is a, a winnable fight for both guys. That's what you're kind of looking for in matchmaking. So that's fun. Yeah, and, and then, you know, let's uh, just to start sky, um, you know, star scoping here because nate diaz was at this event he was shown on the showtime broadcast which is pretty odd for a ufc contracted fighter to be shown on a showtime broadcast and uh nate diaz was with his buddy chris avila who was on the undercard kind of you know jake pa jake paul's party trying to you know create something these guys have been circling each other 
uh, a little bit here with Nate being at the event and walking out before the fight was over. Uh, and Nate has one fight left on his contract. It looks like he's trying to rush out of it uh, with the January. fight with yeah with uh, Dustin. So uh, I feel like Nate Diaz versus you think Jake it's Paul. Be Dustin, I don't yeah. know, man. It seems like Dana was trying to throw fucking cold water on that. Which is well, weird, but it's gonna be somebody, but I, I'm just saying, you know, I, I yeah. feel like I feel like Jake Paul versus Nate is uh I think that's a fight that could happen. Uh what do you think about that? Who would you favor in that fight? <laughs> Dude, I'd have to think about it to give like a fair assessment. Everybody give me if I say something stupid right now, just bear in mind it's 537 Eastern. But <laughs> that being said, man, initially. I'd have to look at the height and reach. I, I would think it favors Jake pretty significantly. And, you know, I would have to favor him probably slightly. But uh, I do think Nate could definitely make it more competitive than Tyron. Nate will go out there and throw. He won't give a fuck. He will slap him around a little bit. I, I'd just be worried because Nate, you know, he, he kind of has a brick for a head. But he's also been hit a lot. And Masvidal was kind of fucking him up, outboxing him a little bit. Yeah, I think that that could be a problem, and I wouldn't want to see one of my uh, one of my guys get uh, viciously KO'd. That would be, oh my God. That would be bad. Could you imagine if Nate Diaz got statued by Jake Paul? Dude, unfortunately, <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, so really quickly, I this is the, the you know this is all leading towards Jake Paul versus Connor, right? That's what's happening here, right? Jake, you know, and. Uh, I, I talked about this with Bleed when we had McGregor Poirier two, McGregor or sorry, it was actually the third fight when McGregor went heel. You know, McGregor won't even wear his Crypto.com shirt for the ceremonial weigh-ins, and I don't think he's going to wait around. This is a guy who's a, trying to become a billionaire. I don't think he's going to. I think he's turning down any offer that the UFC gives him for an extension on a contract, and. For him to go into like his late 30s and early 40s, he's got to be thinking to be doing something promotion-wise for himself. And, you know, McGregor versus Jake Paul, as sad as this is, that fight would fight in the business. one of the biggest pay-per-view sporting events of all time, for better or for worse, give or take, you know? Dude, I, I completely agree with you. I think yeah. it's I, – I actually – I would struggle to think of an, a, a fight involving a mixed martial arts athlete that would be bigger. Like Mayweather McGregor, I feel like would be a similar size because you have to understand that this guy, Jake Paul just has a reach outside of combat sports that we don't really understand. Like we, we think of like what could bring in a casual fight fan, you know, a big star. He has a pre-built audience. That's massive. Conor McGregor pre-built audience. That's massive. That won't miss the fight. It's just like, those are two unique audiences in some ways as well. Not every Jake Paul fan watches MMA, but every MMA fan knows who Conor McGregor is and has to watch that fight. So you have all of MMA involved. And then Jake Paul is like the greatest troll in the history of the MMA world. I, I don't know, man. I think that that's a massive fight. And uh, I hate to say that because, you know, I like Conor. I wish my boy was uh, still in real fights, but if he's going to be taking this kind of fight for, for money, who could blame him, man? Like most people will never get that opportunity. <laughs> oh yeah. And we can all say like, Oh, that's dumb. What does this sport come to blah, 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 blah. 
you know, this is what I'll say about um, tonight's event. Uh, you look at the Emily Arena, 18,000 people. Uh, like Jake Paul said, that's bigger than MSG when they have an event like this. Um, 18,000 people. You look at that crowd, I bet you there's probably 75% of those people. That's the first boxing event they ever went to, right? So you're bringing a whole new audience to boxing. First boxing event I ever went to, Jake Paul, Tyron Woodley won in Cleveland. Right. There you go. He, that's what I mean. So he's... As much as we want to poo-poo on this, uh, you know, I bought the pay-per-view. I'm, you know, I'm invested in making content about stuff like this because it sells. You know what I mean? The website, when I make content about Jake Paul, Tyron Woodley, or just Jake Paul, Ben Askren, or Jake Paul, anybody, you know, eyeballs go to it. And they, they filter off into what we're doing beyond that when, you know, you can turn a Jake Paul fan into a Ricky Simone fan in no time. So that's, yeah, that's what it comes down to. So yeah, honestly, as ridiculous as it is, and I feel like we might've talked about it on air, but uh, it might've been off air, but I, you know, I was saying, I think they might be gunning for doing McGregor Chemaev, but now after seeing this changes everything, right? With, with Jake Paul having this huge knockout, because remember, McGregor was eyeing that Pacquiao fight uh, outside of the UFC if he was going to get through Poirier. And, you know, it went badly, and then he went for the third fight. Not, you know, now he, he's eyeing something outside of the UFC. He's not going to resign with the UFC. I can see him going the Habib route and creating his own promotion, you know, 12 FC or something. So, um, yeah. Literally, the sky's the limit. So that, <laughs> oh my God! Unfortunately, that is how we're going to wrap up 2021. <laughs> you know, we still have uh, what is it? There's the Fury FC tomorrow afternoon, right? And then yep. we got Octagon 30 on on December 30th, and then we got Ryzen 33 on New Year's Eve. But UFC and Bellator has wrapped up, so. It, I, I'm surprised another plus money, like another plus unit year for me, but the gains, not really what I was hoping for. Uh, I went 446 and 511 for plus 8.8 units in 2021. Not the best. So hopefully going to try to build on that in, in, so I'm 930 and 891 for plus 23.58 units. So my 2020 was a lot better. 15 units, uh, just because I'm usually betting just straight one unit plays. So I had 15 units last year, only eight this year. So 2022, we're going to try to, you know, go keep keep building, keep having that exponential growth rather than just keeping my head above water. And uh, yeah, these post shows, it's I, I, I definitely enjoy, I definitely enjoy doing them with you. So yeah, any parting words before we uh, kick the can for 2021? Absolutely, man. Um, you know, it turned out to be a pretty good year for me. Uh, I had a bad year. Uh, you know, I started tracking my bets uh, midway through last year. And so I ended off the year, you know, positive uh, on my straight bets, but negative overall on my tracked wagers. And to be honest with you, Al, at the time, I knew virtually nothing about uh, betting on MMA. I didn't know very much about betting in general. Uh, and that's what I've had to learn on the job. You know, I, I came in with a bunch of knowledge about the sport 
Uh, and uh, I think they call it the green tree fallacy. Uh, the, excuse me, the green lumber fallacy. That's what I was dealing with, which is like, I know something about MMA, so therefore I can make money betting on it. And that's not quite how it works. Uh, and I think over time, reading books, uh, learning from very smart people in the game, yourself included, uh, I've just picked up on things, betting trends, uh, what wins fights, what doesn't win fights, what could be a cause for concern for a big favorite, this kind of thing. And so at a certain point, even this year, you know, I started off the year not on a great note, but I've learned and, and tried to keep uh, refining my process every week and keeping the things that work and that make me money and trying to focus on those and take out the things that have cost me money and that I'm not, uh, you know, doing well with. And I ended up, uh, you know, plus 41 units on the year for an 8% ROI. Um, and I was down 45 units at one point uh, this year. So had a very good uh, end to this year and uh, even had a couple tough events right at the end of the year that tried to scrape back some of my profit. And the last two events we go out with, you know, plus eight, plus 10 units type of deal last two weeks. So very happy about that, man. Uh, finished out strong and ready to get going again in 2022 with a lot of lessons learned and ready to keep attacking the bookies. They, uh, they better come correct. Cause I will. <laughs> yeah. Nice man. Yeah. Like me and you, we definitely have different. Like uh, I'm kind of a high volume, but low stakes or you're probably, you know, higher volume. Yeah. Like you kind of got the higher volume, higher stakes. I got lower volume, lower stakes, I'm betting like literally sometimes like 25 bets a night because I, you know, I, I believe just like you, I don't, I don't bet any other sport. I only bet combat sports now. I used to bet other stuff, but I don't anymore. I, so I make the Saturdays count because I'll go in with a, a huge, huge card. And uh, yeah, unlike you, you know, as far as training, I've, I've trained boxing and stuff like that. I've never really been into a, a fight besides like a hockey fight. But with that said, I still know if someone's going to punch you in the head, not to put your hands down at the last second and let yourself get punched in the temple and knocked out for, you know, the MMA world to remember and be embarrassed for uh, forever. <laughs> so with that said, oh, yeah, it's pretty depressing that we're going to end 2021 on that. But, you know, know. poor bastard, dude, I, it could have been Derek Lewis. You know, it could have been Derek Lewis, but instead... It's Jake Paul that gets the last laugh. Yeah. Oh, wow. What a sport. What a circus, man. Combat I guess, sports. I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah, exactly. And it's a freak show. Even when we're, you know, even when we're talking about the fights in the cage, it's a complete freak show. So, um, yeah, you know, w with that being said, uh, yeah, let's wrap it up for – 2021 i i had like a really good transition and i totally just blanked on it right as i was gonna say it uh so yeah um let's end it's the free hour show. of the morning my yeah, man it's yeah it's, it's it's almost six in the morning but yeah um that's what it was gonna that's what it was gonna be we can only go up from here right that's that's what it is Great we got up. jake paul knocking out a former ufc champion we can only go up from here so hopefully you know, hopefully Nate or Connor or somebody, you know, brings us some joy in 2022 and just and takes care of this guy because now we're invested, which is sad, right? Now we're invested. We want to see, we need to see the big blow up. That here. get back. 
Yes, we Derek need to Brunson get Brunson was saying he needed uh, to show him some love or whatever he said to him. Uh, he wanted, he wants to get his hands on him. Dude, I, I said Derek Brunson, round one body kick TKO. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care if we don't get it on paper. We need it for the moral victory. Just put him down. We need the visual. We need a big man standing on top of him telling him what's up. I like Derek Brunson to go in there and get it done. Why don't we get Derek Lewis in there? <laughs> because right. Jake Paul will never sign that fight. That's the thing is you need to get them to be making enough money so that one time, you know what will happen is one time like Dana will turn from the, the whole like line of, you know, Jake Paul's a, you know, he's a loser. This kid's a freak there. You know, he's, he's fighting old guys and basketball players. And then, you know, the money will get more and more valuable to where Dana will suddenly be like, yeah, you know, we're thinking about it. <laughs> and then Jake Paul's one of the best fighters on earth. And if you yeah. don't believe that, it's because you're not paying attention. <laughs> Once he signs him, he's the best guy. It's crazy, he, dude. he beat a two-time UFC champion. <laughs> All right. Did you see what he did to Tyron Woodley? This guy's the future of the sport. <sighs> you know, we would need just need to add zeros, and then we'll get there. Okay, but hopefully, hopefully, we get there in 2022. Or this guy, we end up getting the get back and the blow off. Because we're all invested now. So with that, let's wrap it up. Hit us up on Twitter. The handles are there on the bottom. Like, subscribe to the video. Sign up to the channel, my channel, Liam's channel. All that good stuff. And uh, yeah, man, thanks a lot for doing this. And uh, good morning, good evening. Uh, see you next year. Talk to you later, guys.